Okay, good afternoon, good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. Today's episode 295, and we're going to take a look at what is called the Bank Holding Company Act. And this is a very interesting one for sure. But before we dive in, I want to give a big shout out to my listeners because as usual, you guys are awesome. So a big shout out to Virginia, Oklahoma, California, New York, Texas, Pennsylvania, British Columbia, Illinois, Florida, and New Jersey. In terms of countries, the United States, Singapore, Canada, the Russian Federation, the United Kingdom, China, South Africa, the Federated States of Micronesia, and Greece. Good to see all of you. Okay, so let's take a look at this act here. And if my recording is a little funky, it's because I'm having to use a different software because my other app that I use to record this is acting funky and was not working correctly. So it's doing an update and I'm trying to fix it. So let us know if this sounds funky on you guys' end and we will take care of it. But let's dive into this here. Again, this is the Bank Holding Company Act. And so it says the Bank Holding Company Act of 1956 is a United States Act of Congress that regulates the actions of bank holding companies. Very important there. The original law specified that the Federal Reserve Board of Governors must approve the establishment of a bank holding company and that bank holding companies headquartered in one state are banned from acquiring a bank in another state. The law was implemented in part to regulate and control banks that had formed bank holding companies to own both banking and non-banking businesses. The law generally prohibited a bank holding company from engaging in most non-banking activities or acquiring voting securities of certain companies that are not banks. The interstate restrictions of the Bank Holding Company Act were repealed by, I think it's pronounced Regal, R-I-E-G-L-E, Neal Interstate Banking and, and Branching Efficiency Act of 1994, also abbreviated as the IBBEA. And the IBBEA allowed interstate mergers between adequately capitalized and managed banks subject to concentration limits, state laws, and Community Reinvestment Act, which is also known as CRA, evaluations. In the United States, financial holding companies continue to be prohibited from owning non-financial corporations in contrast to Japan and continental Europe, where this arrangement is common. I don't know about that in regards to uh, Europe, because Europe is very socialized. Um, so whenever you have a socialistic government, um, they tend to prohibit a lot of things that I would say try and ban capitalism. So I will take a look at that later. Goes on to say private equity firms which solicit funds but are not classified as banks and more importantly are not uh, backstopped by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation may acquire large ownership positions in a number of non bank corporations. This is not a problem since private equity firms are not banks, but sometimes they do act like them. That can kind of be um, interesting on that part. So in regards to proposed new limits on bank activities and physical commodities, it says on September 23rd, 2016, 
the Federal Reserve Board of Governors issued a notice of proposed rulemaking concerning whether to, to impose new restrictions on the activities of banks related to physical commodities. The proposed rule would, number one, increase capital requirements for activities in uh, financial holding companies involving commodities for which existing laws would impose liability of the commodities were released into the environment, or sorry, if the commodities, excuse me, were released into the environment. Number two, lower the limit on the amount of physical commodities that may be held by banks that conduct commodity trading activities. Number three, rescind authority for banks to engage in energy uh, tolling and energy management services. Number four, delete copper from the list of precious metals that bank holding companies are permitted to own and store. And number five, establish new public reporting requirements on the nature and extent of firms' physical commodities, holdings, and activities. Very interesting there on this. It says, additionally, under a report um, was issued pursuant, uh, pursuant to Section 620 of the Dodd-Frank Act, which includes recommendations for legislation to repeal several current authorities for banks to engage in physical commodities activities. Under the 620 report, the board recommends a legislative action that would, number one, repeal the authority of, of FHCs to engage in merchant banking activities, and number two, repeal the grandfather authority to certain FHCs to engage in commodities activities under Section 4 of the Bank Holding Company Act. So a little bit more um, just background to this. The the short title for this is Distributions Pursuant to Bank Holding uh, Company Act of 1956. So this goes back to the 1950s. So this is after World War II. So we got involved in World War II in 1942, and then the war ended in 1945. And then you have the baby boomers, you know, being popped out like crazy in the 50s. And so there were many things that came about in the 1950s in regards to banking and trying to protect the consumer and things of that nature. The long title for this act is an act to define bank holding companies, control their future expansion, and require a divestment of their non-banking interests. Very interesting there at that. Um, some of its nicknames is the Bank Holding Company Act of 1956. It was enacted by the 84th United States Congress. It took effect May 9th, 1956. And this is a, I would say this is a federal law because it is a public law, so that is good. And um, its titles are under banks and banking in terms of how it is legislated. And a little bit of history in regards to the legislative side of this. It was introduced in the House as H.R. 6227. It passed the House on June 14, 1955. It passed the Senate on April 24, 1956. And it was signed into law by President Dwight D. Eisenhower on May 9, 1956. So to me, this is very interesting because here we have um, a, a world power, the United States, that is very concerned about banking regulations because they did not want a repeat of the 20s and 30s. And plus, they're they coming out of World War II, and then we've got other wars that are either taking place or about to take place. So you have the Korean War, and I need to look up when or what year that was fought because I just don't know. And then later on in the, I think it's part of the 60s and 70s, the Vietnam War, um, it lasted a long time. People may not understand just how long that war was going on because, you know, that war was going on 
before we actually got involved. And then it still went on for a time after we brought our troops home. So Viet, you know, the Vietnam War wasn't just a short time frame. It was actually quite longer than that. So there, there are many wars that took place after uh, this, this act was put into place. And so I'm glad that the Bank Holding Company Act was put into place because it protects the consumer. And it protects the consumer from banks that get too big for their britches. And I think that's very important because I think one of the things that can really hinder Americans or just consumers in general is when banks try and control everything. And that's what this act was trying to prohibit or to curtail. Do we need banks? Yes. Um, are they a part of our society? Yes. Are they part of our, our, our uh, financial sector? Yes, for sure. But they should not be in control of everything. And unfortunately, sometimes banks, um, as good as they are and as bad as they can be, sometimes they try and take over so many things. And so it's trying th this act and several other laws and regulations and legislation. They're trying to, in a nice way, prohibit banks from owning all of the commodities in our country. Because can you imagine if banks owned everything? Then they could foreclose on anything and everything or, you know, charge all these fees. And that is not what the United States is about. Although Europe would disagree with that, but they're also socialists and they do not understand democracy. They do not understand capitalism. But yet socialistic societies and socialistic countries and governments, they love money, but they love other people's money. So it needs to say, what's interesting is that many of our laws and regulations here in the United States are implemented or duplicated in other countries, but they don't work as well because there isn't another country on this planet that is a true democracy or true capitalism. They try and act like it, but they're not. And so that's why many of the rules, laws, and regulations that we have here in the United States, they don't work anyplace else because they don't really have our framework. They don't have a good, stable foundation, and, and they don't honor and respect their country, much less God. So we are the only country on the face of this earth that is one nation under God. We're not one nation under Allah. We're not one nation under um, some pagan religion, we are one nation under God, and that is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Joshua, that also includes the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So that includes Jesus Christ. So we are the only nation to be like that. Other nations, especially in the Middle East, they claim to worship Allah, and I don't really understand who Allah is. Um, they claim it's God because they claim to have a, a Abrahamic religion, but I don't think the God of Abraham would approve of how they treat their women and children and how they treat foreigners. I just don't agree with this. But, you know, there are many religions out there that claim to be the number one religion. And it's like, you know, God did not invent religion. Mankind did that. All God ever asked us to do and still ask us to do is to worship him, the one true God. And again, that's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So if, if you are involved in a religion that doesn't believe in that, that's kind of a problem because, you know, especially if you live here in the United States, we are one nation under God. But it's like, what God are you worshiping? Because the one nation under God, the God that our founding fathers were referring to was, again, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Joshua. Our founding fathers knew the, knew the Bible very well. 
And even if they were not super religious, they were very dedicated men to our Heavenly Father. And they also believed in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Were they perfect men? No. Were some of them very flawed? Yes. But they founded this country. And so what I find to be very interesting is that whenever we're talking about especially these banking regulations, sometimes I think back to, okay, how would our founding fathers view this stuff? And you know, what, what kind of systems did they put in place to help establish our country and our government and our banking system and our currency? I mean, just think about if you're founding a brand new country, you're starting with nothing. You're starting from scratch. So needs to say, you know, we should probably do some episodes on our founding fathers because just think about what all they went through to found a country and to do something completely brand new that has never, ever been done before. I just find that to be amazing. So, you know, we had our founding in 1776, and then we have this law from 1956 that is trying to pull the reins on banks and trying to say, hey, you cannot own or operate all of the commodities in the United States. That is very dangerous. That would be like everybody reporting to Wall Street. <laughs> you know, as much as I love Wall Street, and it is important to our economy, um, I, I do not report to Wall Street. Like, they are not my boss. My Heavenly Father is my boss. And, you know, you know the, the God of Abraham is the best boss that you could ever have because he's kind, he's loving, he's always for you, he's never against you. Um, can you imagine if Wall Street was like that and how much better our society and how much better our economy would be? Like, can you imagine what our government would be like if everybody that works for our government actually believes in God and worships God and actually practices prayer every day? And I'm not saying you have to say a big old long prayer, but I mean, just to know that God exists and that he loves you and cares for you and that he wants what is best for you. Because I feel like whenever put, you know, whenever people put God first, which is what we are supposed to do, people behave a whole lot better because they know it's not all about them. They know it's about God. And unfortunately, there are so many people that get wrapped up in religion and they think that, well, if everything's about God, then I must not be important. The, the individual person must not be important. And that is the direct opposite of what that means. Because when you put God first, that means you are extremely important and you are extremely valuable. So don't ever throw away your relationship with God for anything, whether it's for a regime, a government, for money, for a bank, for a loan, you know, for, for, for some stupid ideology that promises um, progressivism or something. I mean, don't ever throw your relationship with God away because that's very important. Um, it's very important to know who your Heavenly Father is and to draw close to him. Because I look at it this way, you know, my, my Heavenly Father, I was made in his image and he loves me very much. And he wants me to know what's going on. Like he wants me to be educated. He, he wants me to be knowledgeable about where I live and what I'm doing in my life. And, you know, he wants me to know that what I'm doing is good and true. Well, if you don't have a relationship with your Heavenly Father, then you're missing out on one of the, or actually the most important relationship of your entire life. Because, you know, I'll just say this, like without God in my life, there's no way I would have started this podcast. There's no way... I would have had to, I, there's no way I would have had, I would say, the courage to do a podcast because I never, I never thought about doing one before. I, I never really, um, thought, oh, I want to do a podcast and, you know, I, I want everybody to hear my voice because I'm just so important. I never thought that way. I still don't think that way. Um, I put God first and everything else falls into place. And it's because of my Heavenly Father that my podcast has been heard all over the world. 
Like I have not spent a single dollar or a single nickel on advertising for my podcast. So I'm always amazed when people are are listing in from countries that either A, I've never heard of, or B, I never thought of before, or C, I never thought people in Muslim countries especially would want to listen to a podcast about labor laws because they don't believe in labor laws. They believe in religious laws. Why? Because most Muslim countries are a theocracy because that's the Muslim religion. The Muslim religion tends to take over the government and people's way of life, and that's why it is so oppressive. And so that is a very dangerous, I would say, theology and religion to have because it directly impacts your government and usually for the negative. Like I can't think of a single positive thing that the Muslim religion does in general, but especially in regards to governing its people. It doesn't really govern its people. It, it enslaves them and it picks and chooses who the favorites are and who has more rights. And usually it's men that have more rights in a Muslim religion or a Muslim country because they oppress and suppress women and foreigners really horribly. And I think that whenever you do not have true liberty and you do not have true freedom, that's where a lot of problems are going to come from. And also what's interesting is that the more a country suppresses and oppresses its people, especially in regards to, to religiosity, they, they tend to have way more human rights violations as opposed to if they put God first and everything else falls into place, they wouldn't have any human rights violations because they would honor everybody. Like you know, they would respect everybody. And what I mean by honor and respect, I'm not saying that, that you have to agree with everyone because agreeing doesn't mean anything. If you, if you are just pretending to agree with someone just to agree, but it's not what you really feel or what you believe in. What I'm talking about is just respecting, you know, other people's lives, you know, other people's lives and their livelihood and not use something against them. For example, you know, like what sex they're born to determine whether or not they have rights or try and force them into a marriage that they would not normally enter into. So he used to say our founding fathers knew what they were doing way, way, way back in the day. And you know, I look at it this way. How many politicians do you know today that would make a good founding father if they were to found a new nation? Like, just think about that. What's interesting is that all of our founding fathers, none of them were politicians like what we have today. Every single one of them came from a different walk of life. And that's what makes our founding so important. And that's what makes our country so strong is that people from different walks of life came together to fight against the tyrannical monarchy of the great, uh, the, I was going to say the great kingdom, <laughs> Great Britain and the United Kingdom. And, you know, we have a great and wonderful country because of the sacrifices of, of our founding fathers and, you know, the original colonists and the original Americans. I mean, the people that fought in the Revolutionary War, many people died. So it's it was definitely a battle that was worth fighting for. And so that's why we have such a, a stable, uh, I say company, but a stable country today. And this is why we have to take care of our country. And sometimes that includes passing rules, laws, and regulations especially in regards to banking and to currency, uh, banking, currency, and commodities is what I was going to say, because it's it always disappoints me whenever someone has the arrogance to try and take over um, a product and not allow anybody else to sell it or to invest in it, and that is a form of greed, and that's also a form of intolerance. So, needless to say, there are so many things that we need to discuss in regards to different companies or not just companies, but certain people um, that have founded certain companies that have made it impossible for there to be competition 
I would say within that industry, because without competition, you, you don't have fair labor, you don't have equal rights, you don't have equal pay or better pay. And also you, you don't have diversity of products or of people. So that's why these monopolies are created. It's because a very greedy glutton um, chose to be in charge of something and, and, you know, heaven forbid someone question their authority and say, hey, I want to make a better product. And so they they try and squash people with that, and they typically use patent laws to suppress and oppress people or, or their, their competition from ever waking up to the fact that, hey, you're not the only one that can, you know, package bottled water, you know what I mean, or something like that. So, I mean, just think about if there was only one company that packaged bottled, uh, bottled water, and just think about how expensive that would be and how unrealistic it would be to, to purchase it. So this is why we have diversity, this is why we have privatization, and this is why we have healthy competition. It's because the consumer is in charge of pricing, not these monopolies. You know, this is why monopolies are supposed to be illegal, but you'd be surprised how many banks they would love to be in a monopoly because then they could control people's bank accounts. They could control the interest rates and loans. And that's why many banks need to be broken up because they, they get too big. Because many of them think that, oh, well, you know, we're just too big to fail. That's not true at all. No one is too big to fail. And a, a perfect example of that is the auto workers union. And, um, I would say is a general motors. And then there's another, um, automaker that, you know, they just thought they were too big to fail. And stupidly, we, the American public, we, the American people, we gave them millions, if not billions of dollars to bail them out. And it was really just a bailout to their union. It wasn't really to bail out the company because they didn't change their ways at all. So this is why we need to have good legislation on the books that applies to everybody equally and it doesn't play favorites because nepotism is never appropriate, it's never legal, and it is never moral. So good to know with that stuff there. But I will go ahead and end it there for this lovely podcast. But as usual, until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless and bye-bye.
Thank you.